you're listening to This Nazarene Life, stories of young Nazarene clergy and their role models. This episode is sponsored by North Street Community Church of the Nazarene. North Street is a Christian community on the south shore of Boston, shaped through local and global partnerships, practicing neighborly care and concern, and providing a place where artists can practice their art. Check them out at northst.org. Today on the podcast, we meet up with Reverend Emily Haynes and her daughter, Daly. Reverend Haynes is a co-lead pastor of Kaleo Nashville with her husband, Caleb. Thanks for tuning in. Emily is a co-pastor at Kaleo Nashville in Tennessee. Say hello. Hello. So the first question that I ask everybody is, how did you end up in the Church of the Nazarene? Well, um, just grew up in the Church of the Nazarene. My dad was a children's pastor in the Church of the Nazarene and was a volunteer for many years and went into full-time paid ministry when I was about 11. So Mm -hmm. we moved around several times after that. Um, and eventually ended up with me going to Trevecca and just developing a whole lot of relationships uh, in the Church of the Nazarene. So that's how I got here. That's awesome. So could you kind of tell us the the evolution of how you ended up at where you're pastoring now? Yeah, sure. So Kaleo is uh, where I'm at right now, and it's actually where I've pretty much always been. We started Kaleo, my husband and I, we co-pastor, and we started it about, um, well, we started meeting weeks after we were married, Mm -hmm. which was just two weeks after I graduated from college. Wow. So within about a month of graduating, I was married and was starting a church. Um, We officially launched a few months later, and so I've been doing that for a little over seven years now. Wow. And, um, yeah, so that is, that's where I'm at. And when we started Kaleo, it was, uh, we definitely felt called to start a church. And we felt like there was a lot of, of sort of shifts that we wanted to make in starting a church. And so I guess that's sort of like propelled us into that. Can you tell us more about, about those shifts? What do, what do you mean by that? So we have sort of a different philosophy of ministry, I guess you could say. Um, We love our Nazarene doctrine and our history with the Church of the Nazarene, Um, but we really have redefined what it means uh, in our local context, in our practical uh, orthopraxis, I guess, of what it means to live holy lives. Mm -hmm. And so we kind of confess that holiness is about is is a confession that God cares about every part of our lives and it's just not separated and divorced from the rest of our lives some church service we show up on Sunday and we say all the right words and we come into union with God and intersect with God and then we go off and sort of try to maintain some of that magic and sparkly dust um, through the rest of our lives but right. we kind of we we take it as an insistence that God is intricately uh, connected to us throughout our lives and that there are very real tangible practical ways we live out uh, what it means to be Christian mm-hmm. uh, in our lives and so that sort of shaped some of our the ways we think and so shifts you asked about shifts mm-hmm. our shifts are um, 
are basically taking something that is kind of been commonly known as a, a church standard and saying, okay, this is where, this is how we're different. Mm-hmm. And so a common one might be uh, the shift from the church as a building to the church as a people. Oh, I love that. So uh, how that looks for us is we try to practically embody that. And so we actually don't have a church building. Mm. And I remember early on my, um, my mother-in-law or different people would say, like, I am so excited for you guys one day to have a church building. Because they didn't quite con- grasp that concept that maybe we might never have a church mm. building. We live that out by meeting in houses. We meet in community spaces like community gardens. Uh, once a year we go and have church on the lake where we go to the lake and wow. uh, enjoy creation and learn what it means to live a holy life of fun and celebration of creation. And uh, yeah, so there's, there's one shift. And we have, I don't know, a handful, a couple, a dozen or so. Um, but... Uh, they sort of direct our thinking. They direct mm-hmm. our philosophy. They direct the way the way that we live. One of those shifts that has currently played out is the shift from addition to multiplication. Mm-hmm. And although you might think of this as a as a common thing that churches multiply, um, it seems like lately our strategies have been mostly around how do we add people to our current church? How do we grow it bigger? There are histories and traditions that have shaped us, but our shift is actually how does our how do we move away from the paradigm of church growth as success? What is redefining success for the church? And so in the past 2 years we've started to move toward a shift of what is what does it mean to be a church that multiplies. And so last fall we started meeting in two different houses, um, two different neighborhoods we were kind of inhabiting already. And so we've multiplied and tried to like start to form those little babies uh, into into full-grown churches that again will eventually at some point of critical mass uh, go out and create more churches um, that embody the same philosophy. So what does that look like for you guys in a regular week? Are, are you and your husband leading each of those two places? Or have you kind of commissioned some lay people to go out and do that? Do you have other people under you or interns? How, how is that looking for you? Yeah, sure. So um, one of our shifts, going back to our shifts, is um, from one pastor to many. Mm. And uh, this morning we were in a session with Alan Hirsch and he said something very profound about there not being a differentiation between laity and clergy in the early church, that that wasn't a differentiation. There was just, he said, when the Spirit distributes the gifts, everyone gets one. So for us, we, we really see our role as sort of the resident theologian that helps us do practical theology, but also... Um, the equipping the role uh, for people to do the ministry. And so mm. our people are the, the ones who do the ministry. Mm. Now equipping even takes a lot of work. It's always a work in progress. We're very kind of shift and change as we need to. So what happened when we started to plant is we said, oh man, we really need some more people who are able to preach, who are able to lead in these certain ways. We really need to pray for these people. Well, very naturally and organically, these people came um, Mm -hmm. to the surface. And so uh, we brought on about a year ago a couple who is also a co-pastoring couple. And they are sort of the the lead in one neighborhood and we're the lead in the other and we form a pastoral team. Wow. And so we have a preaching rotation and they sort of take the lead in one neighborhood on kind of providing pastoral care and guidance and we do in the other neighborhood. And so it will evolve, it will continue to evolve, but that's sort of how we look like Mm. right now. I love that. 
So do your churches meet on a weekly basis? What kind of day of the week or is there other stuff going on? What does church look like for you guys? So we have a structure and then we have a culture. Mm. And our structure is threefold. We call it holiday, life, and impact. So holiday is where family and friends come together to celebrate. And so when we come together on what would be considered a, a weekly worship service, we come together to celebrate what God is doing, what God has done. Mm-hmm. And that is sort of the traditional sort of service element. Um, life groups are our small groups, more like locally based discussion groups. So those actually do happen with your neighbors. And then impact is sort of the unique most unique element to our structure and that's where we structure in every week opportunities to serve our community Mm -hmm. and so this happens um right every week on sundays sometimes it's different nights of the week wow um but we're you know tending a community garden visiting neighbors visiting people in the hospital taking people welcome baskets or get well or sick or we're just trying to take care of people in our neighborhood during those times so your laity have kind of taken some pastoral care roles. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's not... Because we all live in such close relationship and proximity, and when someone is sick, it just doesn't make sense not to go visit them. Mm. They're your friend. They're your neighbor. And so definitely, um, definitely people are taking on those roles for each other and providing support. Wow. Does everyone who attends Kaleo live in that kind of proximity to the gathering? Yeah, so for the most part, yes. Um, We have, so we have two separate ones now. Uh, We do come together on a pretty regular basis to to celebrate different things Mm -hmm. or um, to do do things together. And Mm -hmm. that's a really enriching experience. But we do have uh, those two separate communities that are kind of taking on, taking on those roles and, and doing that. And so the cool thing is, is that um, we're, since we live in that, since we live in the neighborhood together, uh, when we go and visit neighbors, we can say, I live right down there at that house, and they'll have seen that house on several occasions. And so we have this automatic sort of platform um, to go off of, and our people do live, uh, for the most part, right there in those, maybe a mile radius. Um, I'm curious what sacraments look like for your church in your context you don't have a building so i'm assuming you don't have a baptistry um so i'm curious do how do you do baptism and communion um yeah so for us we take um communion on a regular basis Mm. we do it usually weekly um there's a few occasions where we won't we also have some different service elements we always say the Nicene Creed as a part of our service. We have discussion as a part of our service that kind of primes people for the sermon. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also eat together um, every week. So um, there's a several elements and we all we consider all of that worship. For many years, even uh, we didn't have music at all as an element. And mm-hmm. being in Nashville, Tennessee, that's sort of an odd thing not to have. Right, yeah. Um, But it was kind of like we were living out of this paradigm of what gifts are at the table. Mm. And there weren't any musical gifts there for a while. And so for about three or four years, we really didn't have music as a worship element. And so we kind of lived into these other things like service. And so we see service as a way we're worshiping. And we see uh, saying the creed as a way we're worshiping. And we're saying eating together as a way that we're worshiping. And so everything sort, sort of starts to focus, shift focus a little bit. Mm -hmm. 
Now baptisms, now we're in like the, we are in the buckle of the Bible belt in Mm -hmm. Nashville. And honestly, we don't know very many people who haven't been baptized. Mm. Um, Pretty much everyone has some sort of church background, even if most people aren't in the church today. Um, And so on a few occasions where we've had some people say, well, I want to be baptized, what what they're usually saying is I want to be re-baptized. And we try to address that and kind of have a conversation around that. But we really really haven't had much experience with people who who aren't baptized. What we have is an experience of people who haven't been in the church. So... What day of the week do you meet? Did I miss that? No, I didn't say that. Um, We meet on Sundays, and we also meet a weeknight for our small groups. Mm -hmm. So typically we'll have two meals together a week um, on Sunday service and then on whatever night our small groups are on. And is that potluck? You're taking turns? It depends. Different uh, communities are actually different. And so one one is a full potluck. One does like someone cooks the main course. Another one brings sides. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the meals per week, someone just cooks and that rotates who cooks it. We've done pretty much every way you can formulate how to have a community meal, including pay someone just to come do it. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, it, it, it varies. No, that's great. So I'm just curious about the early days. Were you ever questioning your call, what you were doing? Were you ever nervous? Were there people who said, you're so young, what are you doing, what are you thinking? Uh, There probably were people who said, you're so young, but I didn't know any of them, so that was probably a good thing. Um, No, I think starting out we had so many ideas about what we wanted this church to be like and it to be different, but it was hard to be defined by something that we didn't know what it was. We only knew what we didn't want to be. Um, and so it was a process of a couple of years before we started to figure out who we were versus who we weren't. Mm. Um, and so starting out, there was a lot of days of just struggling with what are we doing and how do we do this and sort of some misfires on what we should be doing. And so one of those things was renting space to meet in. Um, and we started out renting space from this coffee shop bar place, and which was fine. But it really wasn't who we were, and we didn't know that yet. Right. So um, we eventually got those things figured out. But definitely early days, it was kind of like, man, how are we? This looks so different, and we had no models uh, of what this should look like mm. or what it could look like or what any sort of different from traditional uh, church might look like and so we went through all these things like okay what do we do about communion okay what do we do about creeds okay what do we do about music okay at every element we had multiple hours of conversations about you know what's faithful what is relevant and not relevant in the sense of like what's trendy like what is true what is authentic um and so those things were there's just a lot of thought that went into those early years and not a whole lot of like really living into we were trying, mm. but we didn't have, we didn't have the core and we didn't have the, the base for a couple of years mm. of what our true identity would be as a church. Mm. So I'm curious about the logistics of it and um, if you're bivocational, if your um, ministry team is all bivocational, how, how is it that you are? We are bivocational, um, everyone on our 
ministry team is bivocational. Uh, one of the things that we kind of committed to early on, my husband and I, was that we really wanted to see what a church, and if we could do it, do this, uh, serve the church in a way that the church's finances weren't completely tied up with a building and staff, uh, which would free the church to, to actually do mission with um, its money. And so um, one of our goals starting out was to actually tithe, give away 50% of everything that came into our church. Wow. And so um, we actually just, <laughs> I'm a little ashamed to say this, but also a little proud. So uh, in this last month, it actually hasn't even been ratified yet, but we've, we never have had a budget until this last month. Seven years in, we finally have a budget. But all that to say, uh, even in these budget meetings, we've talked about this principle. And we've decided as a church, we want to commit to this principle that we want to tithe 50%. For the past uh, couple years, we've been giving away um, about 45%. It, we started at 20 or so, and then kind of went up from there. And um, so we're at a place where we are, are committed to giving 50% away. And we do that through um, world mission projects. We use Nazarene Compassionate Ministries sometimes. Um, we give locally in our communities to local nonprofits. Um, and so we're just kind of putting our money, uh, we're, we're sending our money to the places we can't go ourselves. Mm. And so we see that we serve our community with our hands and our feet. Mm. But other people have to serve with their hands and their feet elsewhere. Mm. And so we try to support that and we try to live into that. That's fabulous. So kind of keeping with the logistical theme, um, are you ordained? Is anybody on your staff working towards ordination? How's that going? Yeah, so um, both my husband and I were ordained. I was ordained first, about five minutes before my husband, um, <laughs> which is cool. No, and uh, we also have another co-pastoring couple on our team, our pastoral team, and um, uh, Kevin Reed is uh, the guy's name, and he is ordained, and his wife Chelsea uh, is on the track to ordination. Wow, so awesome. she has her district license and is working towards her years of service. Mm. So how does your district interact with you as a church what is that is it just like normal church kind of proceedings or are you some kind of special assignments um i would say that our district looks at us just like another church um on the district and we're a little bit different in that we're still considered a church type mission which is what used to be called a new start Mm. and we as we planted a church this last fall another type same type of thing. Uh, we're looking at creating a second church type mission. So there's not very many church type missions. I don't know that create new church type missions. I don't know, but uh, so it's a little bit different structurally. And so technically, we're assigned by the DS every year. And technically, the district advisory board is our board of church board. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they have to approve certain things. But for all practical purposes, we're just another another church on the district. That's really cool. So demographic wise. Is your church mostly, I mean, you're young, you're hip. Is your church full of, like, hipsters? Are you, like, you know, hanging out in Nashville? Um, I don't know if people in our church would say that they're hipsters, but probably people outside of our church would say that they're hipsters. Got it. Okay. Um, most churches are talking about how to get young people in their churches, and we're talking about how to get old people in our church. Mm. And it's an interesting conversation because uh, we are so in support and want to take steps towards generational and cultural and all kinds of diversity that is possible. Um, 
and we had we show diversity in at least our leadership gender wise uh, being co-pastors uh, so that's good but you know we're still kind of struggling with what that looks like to really be in community and live alongside people who really think differently who are a different part of a different generation or really come from a different cultural background and so uh, what we found is we're super open to relationship and people in our neighborhoods are super open to those relationships but it's a much different thing to take the step to come and be a part of this group of 20-somethings um, because they feel old or young or different and um, it's hard to change those scripts for people mm-hmm. um, when you only have a first encounter or a second encounter. Right. Um, so we're friends with a lot of people. Depends who you count in, I guess. <laughs> right. Well, does your church have formal membership? I think we have seven members now. Seven, okay. Yeah. But uh, your average... Four staff, four of us are pastors assigned there. Right. <laughs> right. And your average weekly kind of, I guess, attendance, uh, in quote, air quotes, would be... We probably, we have like 35 adults and 15 kids. Wow. And all of our kids are like under three. So we have a bunch of little babies and kids, and then we have um, adults, uh, married, some single, some college students. Um, so there's a range there. We don't have a, a bunch of older people. Mm-hmm. I don't know that there's anyone over 40. But that's but fascinating. It's different. We want older people. If anyone's out here listening to me and, you know, you're in Nashville. You know, grandmas some, and papas. We, need, we really need grandmas to hold babies. Aww. And to babysit. Yeah. And to help us figure out life since we're a lot of young parents. If you hear that noise, that's my daughter because I'm holding her. She's six months old and she needs some some local grandparents, adopted or not, to love her and take care of her. And, uh, yeah, we really need that. We really could use the life experience, the mentorship that comes along with having people who are... Well, I'm going to keep my ear to the ground for you on that. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Send some people our way. Yeah, I will do it. If you ran into a young person, 20 or 30-something pastor, who's who's feeling like maybe they have a call to plant a parish-type neighborhood church like yours, what might you give them advice-wise, or what might you tell them are the first steps? I think I would say move in to wherever it is that you're feeling called. Mm. Go to the local places to eat, to wash your clothes, to buy things. Get to know what people do in the neighborhood. Just meet people. Pray. Um, don't feel stuck in a certain box or a certain building or a certain mindset, but be creative and let yourself be uh, open to what God might be calling to you to. Mm. That's awesome. So the last question I always ask, and, and I'm really curious to hear your answer, like, what keeps you in the Church of the Nazarene? What, what, what inspires you to stay? I think there's a lot of things that inspire us and me personally to stay in the Church of the Nazarene. Um, we have a family all across the world that we can identify with and that we mm-hmm. can connect with and that we can live alongside and that we can talk about things like holiness uh, with and that we can have a discussion And as long as people will let us speak and have a voice. And so far, we've been accepted into a district. We've been supported in that. Um, 
there's just a lot of things that are keeping us. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's some frustrations. There's some things we'd like to see change. But, you know, as long as we're able to talk through issues, I think that will continue to show up. Well, I really appreciate you and Daly coming to the podcast. If somebody was curious about church planting or Kaleo Nashville or they wanted to get a hold of you, how might they do that? Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn or Facebook or really pretty much anywhere. Emily Julian Haynes. You type that in, you'll find me. <laughs>